My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences and self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or a licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised, but it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. Brought to you by Glassbox Media, this is Invisible Tears. Welcome to the Invisible Tears weekly bonus episode, where we react to the Dark Valley episode that dropped last week. Drew. Hi, Amanda. Hello. So we are doing um, reaction episode to Dark Valley's episode 12, correct? Yes, our season finale. So I'm here today. Um, I'm Jane, a host of Invisible Tears, and I'm here with Amanda and Drew, my co-host, and I want to welcome everybody for listening to us. So, um, gosh, so much to say, and I don't even know where to start. It was so ironic that uh, Jen released this episode today, and I had a meeting with Mr. Michael McLaughlin, uh, which is the detective that Jen was talking about on her episode. He is the detective sergeant for the state police at Troop C in New Hampshire. So. Yeah, he called me the beginning of the week, wanted to have a meeting, and uh, me and Jessica met with him this morning. It was a great meeting. Super nice guy. He did have um, uh, Detective Edward Horton was also there, which is his, um, it's like his assistant. Ed works on the cases with Mike. And uh, so we met with both of them. It was a great meeting. I was very transparent about how frustrated I have been over the years. And he was extremely transparent with me. He did share with me that he has been, uh, he was given my case five years ago. Here, here's a case. Oh, and by the way, here's a lead that we possibly have that I just want you to look into was how he ended up with my case. So he has been investigating my case for five years. Now he was completely honest with me. No, he was not full time on my case. He, he has been working on it uh, off and on for five years. 
But over the five year span, he has gathered an enormous amount of information, uh, has done several interviews. Um, he has done the footwork, like he has gone to these places uh, physically. Uh, he has gone door to door, knocking on people's doors and asking questions. So not only is he just like flipped open his laptop and, you know, punched in my name and read a few things about my case. He has physically dove into my case. I was so pleased to hear about that. Our, our meeting was two hours long and he just seemed so genuine to me. He, he was very professional, showed a lot of compassion. The way he talked to me was with compassion. You know, of course, you know, I want to think, okay, obviously I think my case is the most important case there is, you know, to investigate, but I have to be real and I have to be honest. You know, my case is old and, um, back in the eighties, they felt like they've exhausted all the leads that they had in the eighties. So I have felt over the years that my case was put on a back burner, maybe for a certain amount of years it was because there weren't any new leads coming in. But now um, he assured me, especially with the, the specific lead that he's working on right now, that they are and have looked at leads in the past. He's working on a specific lead right now, which I can't really get into too much detail. He did um, share with me that most of this lead and person of interest is circumstantial evidence. I was right up front with him. I got to look at this and, and think about this with a completely open mind. And, and he was very transparent with me, very honest. He is also looking into this lead with, a, with an open mind. Um, but he also did share with me that right now they do not have any physical evidence. Um, they don't have any forensic evidence to link this individual with this case. What he is doing right now is he's investigating my case and, and investigating this lead with my case. And if it does follow through and it is this individual, then they can connect him with the other cases. But right now he is connecting this individual with my case, which I think is the sensible thing to do. But he was, he was extremely um, transparent about a lot of things. You know, I did express, you know, how pissed off I've been over the years that people have come knocking on my door with, with uh, tips. I didn't appreciate that very much. And, and he did, he did agree with me. He, he mostly works down at Troop C and the state police part of it. He's not very much connected where he works with the AG office or he works with the cold case unit very much. Um, he's, a, he's a separate department. You know, I did tell him, you know, it, it would be nice that if these tips come in that they could, you know, at least respond to these individuals and thank them for the tip and it's appreciated and we're looking into it and, and assure these people that these tips are being taken seriously. And he agreed with me, <laughs> he was like, I've seen the automatic emails that these people get, and that's what they are. If they go online, they email the cold case unit a tip, they get an automated email back. 
So these people are not sure that they are, um, that their tips are being followed through. And he did agree. He's like, I, I totally agree with you that that shouldn't be happening. I've seen it. I don't like it. And and I told him, well, that's one of the things that our coalition is is trying to change is the process of how they, um, the procedure of how they, they do respond to tips coming in. And um, so, I mean, that was the kind of conversation that we had. It was very low key. Nothing was uh, recorded. Um, he chose not to record anything and asked me not to record anything. And so we respected each other in that way. It was a, a really, really good meeting with him. This is how good it was. We said our goodbyes, me and Jessica. Jessica was with me. Me and Jessica walking across the parking lot to the car. We hadn't said two words. And we just automatically looked at each other and said, wow, simultaneously. Because we were like, that was a way better interview or a way better meeting than what we both expected. It was really good. It was really, really good. Good, good. Was he able to actually verify with you, Jane, about who should be receiving any sort of information or tips in regards to your case? Is it actually supposed to go to him or is it supposed to go up to cold case? Were you guys able to talk about that or was he able to verify that? We talked about it a little bit. When when people go online to the cold case unit website and they submit a tip, it automatically goes to the cold case. And then the cold case unit disperses that information to who they feel should have that information. If if somebody comes to me physically with any more tips, he asks me to forward them to him. And he is actively working on my case right now, whether it's for this one, you know, in, uh, investigating this one individual or any other tips coming in. He is actively investigating my case. Good to know. Yeah. Yes. It was good to know. It was funny. He, he gave me his um, cell phone number. <laughs> he says, the only thing I ask is please don't call me after 10 o'clock at night mm -hmm. because me and my wife are in bed and she can't stand that. And she rolls over and she, she knocks me in the head to answer <laughs> my phone. And I really, <laughs> I really try to prevent that from happening. It's like, please don't <laughs> let me get a concussion for my wife or call it after yeah. 10. Oh my goodness. Yeah. But he did, you know, he gave me all his info, uh, contact him anytime I need to, uh, whether it's call him, email him or text him. So yeah, I do have his info. So if I do get tips in, um, I can refer them to him or I can also take their information and refer them to him. So, That's great. Great. That was, that was great. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because also in this uh, Dark Valley episode too, there was definitely a lot more of a discussion. And I know that we've talked about this prior in, in our Invisible Tears episodes too. But there was a lot of um, talk about your the runaround that you've constantly gotten right over the past 30 plus years, but also about your evidence. I'm wondering, did you guys have any conversations about your evidence and what exists and stuff? We did. We had a lot, a lot of conversation about that. And I understand it more when he goes in and he uh, my whole case file in is, is in a database. And there's a list of items that are also in a database of the evidence that they have. 
they have to follow protocol and, and procedures to go into the evidence to revisit the evidence. So they have to have a pathology. Pathologist there wearing gloves. They have to document that they're there. They have to document that they're um, what evidence they're looking at, um, especially like anything that possibly could have DNA or fingerprints or anything like that. The pathologist has to be there to open up the envelope or open up the evidence to look at the evidence. They handle the evidence with gloves. Um, and that is all recorded and documented when and where the evidence, you know, what evidence they're looking at, the date, the time, and all that. So it's not like he can just go in the evidence and start looking around and, and you know, opening up stuff. That's, that's not the procedure that they use. He has to make arrangements to go in and to physically look at this evidence. He does have a list of evidence on um, the database on what's in there. Doesn't necessarily mean everything that's in the evidence is on that list. So there was a few pieces of evidence that I did bring up. So he is going to make arrangements to um, go in and see if he can find these specific items in my evidence and look at them. What pieces were those? If you don't, can you talk about that or that letter that I got? Yes. Okay, good. I explained to him about the letter. He did not see that on the evidence list. So he wants to go in and see if it's in the evidence physically, see if it's in the evidence. He wants to go in and see if they still have the scrapings of my underneath my fingernails and wants to, you know, see if, if it has been tested, maybe retest it for DNA. So there was, there was a few things, you know, about that. Um, he wanted to know why they had my sneakers. <laughs> I said, well, I, I kind of, well, one, I kicked him and two, I kicked my windshield. So they felt that they need to hold them for evidence. And uh, so that was some pretty interesting info that I got that I did not know and, and really explains a lot, you know, explains a lot to me. And, and now I understand it a little bit more, you know, why that other detective told me, oh, you know, your evidence is gone. No, my evidence is not gone. It is very much physically there. Um, there are just protocols that they have to use to go into the evidence. And it would make sense that because it wasn't physically, even if at one point it was physically up in Concord, if it actually moved to Keene of why when you were in Concord, they're like, it's not here. You know what I mean? It's in Keene. Yep. Oh, that's Keene, good. New Hampshire. Oh, what a good day. It was. It was, I felt really good when I left and it wasn't like, it, it didn't really have anything. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel kind of positive about this person of interest he has, um, which I can't get too much into that. Especially if it's active. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's very, very active. Mm -hmm. I, I do feel good about this person of interest, but I still, you know, I told him, you know, I, I got to see physical hardcore physical evidence to really convince me that this this individual is uh, in any way connected. I think he kind of liked that, that, that I was that open-minded about it. Because I told him, I said, you know, my biggest mistake was the Nicolau thing. I got to talk a little bit about that. And I think I, that's how I kind of gained a little bit of trust with him. 
because I think we were we were almost like playing off of each other. Like he wanted to tell me some stuff to try to gain my trust. And and I think he kind of wanted to see how much I info I would give him and what I would say to him to gain his trust. And and I think we kind of fed off each other like that. And, you know, I I was very open about the whole Nicolau thing and told him that was that was a big mistake on my end. And I wish it never happened. I wish I never got that involved with that that whole case, the whole Nicolau thing. And and I assured him that it would never happen again. You know, I told him, I said, I've had people come forward with with info and all of a sudden they want to be my friend, (laughs) you know, come forward with tips and then they feel like they can keep, you know, messaging me because they feel like they can be my friend. and, And that's not, that's not, no, I'll take your tips. I'll be more than happy to receive your tips to pass them on if you haven't already given them to the the proper authorities. And, uh, you know, I did tell him, you know, I've had that happen and and I I walk away from it. And so, you know, I think he really understood where I was coming from and he gained my trust. And, And I believe I gained his trust back where he could give me information and knew that I wasn't going to share it because he was concerned about the podcast. And, you know, I, I did tell him, I, I assure you, I will never put anything on my podcast that would ever jeopardize anything in my case. So he was good with that. Mm-hmm. He was good. I asked him to be on the podcast. <laughs> what do you say? Absolutely not. Oh, come on. It doesn't I have said, to be video. Oh, we can just call him. He's like, I don't do that stuff. And I said, I, look, I, I said, I don't want you to talk about my case. We need expertise. We need to, we need somebody to come on with any kind of expertise about how you investigate cases and how you investigate, you know, serial killers. What is it like to investigate, you know, serial killers and stuff? And he kind of giggled and, and didn't say anything more about it. We'll work on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll work on you, McLaughlin. It was quite funny. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, I don't do that stuff. Yeah, no, I (laughs) I understand that it can be so intimidating. It can be, I mean, thinking back to when we all, when the three of us first very, very started, you know, back three years ago, I mean, I think literally our first recording session, we were all sitting at a table and I hit record and we were like, what literally the first thing was, what do we do? (laughs) What do we say? This is so weird. Yeah, we were we were so intimidated and it was just it was it was funny. It's funny to look back at it now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously I understand I definitely understand his reservations with especially with knowing your platform and your podcast and and stuff, but um yeah, it's not a single one of us would ever want to just put something out to put it out for, you know, content, but jeopardize anything happening within your case, within any of the Connecticut River Valley cases or any case in general. It's important for the cases to be solved and for the investigation to stay intact. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. And now back to our episode. Oh, Drew, you're being too quiet. I know you have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Drew, you're on. <laughs> now, it's great to hear that that conversation went well, and hopefully that will continue. And when you talk about the letter, it's funny listening to the reaction episode when brought up the letter. Just to bring full circle, the whole small town feel, the bus stop mentioned in the letter was my bus stop as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was after you guys had moved up the road, right? Yep. And then also the uh, chicken Alfredo pizza. Big shout out to Angie's Pizzeria <laughs> in Swansea, New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> and another small town bringing a full circle. I worked with Angie for a couple of years. Her grandmother was my neighbor. So more of like that, everything can be sort of interweaved and connected. And yeah, when I heard that, like mentioned the bus stop, I was like, Motherfucker, that was my bus stop. Jane, what are you doing? Put me in, uh, put me in harm's way, you know? <laughs> yeah, true. Like, I, I saw that moment of realization this morning on your face when you, and you repeated it multiple times, almost like you were trying to, like, make yourself realize it, too. How did that feel? How do you feel knowing that Jane's possible attack was actually watching you guys at the bus stop or somebody that was in super, you know, close proximity of him or knew him really well? Like, what went through your mind? It really was just more solidified that whole, God, a lot of stuff can happen in small towns and you can just be connected regardless of whether you know it or not. Yeah. When did you move up there? Was Jessica in first and second grade? Uh, kindergarten. Yep. So I was in third grade. It was 93 because I was pregnant with Devin. Yeah. And once again, had no idea that anything like that was happening or how they even found your address. Yeah. yeah, that's the big one is because I don't think any a lot of people knew that you were living up that way. You're right. It's not like your name was on a mailbox. How they found your address and just the point of talking about the bus stop as a parent. I remember the first time you because we actually talked about this way, way back in our season one. Um, you definitely talked about the letter. I'm spacing which episode it actually was. But the first time that you actually told me that you received a letter like that. And yeah, they were talking about the bus stop and you're like, that had to have been the bus stop that, you know, Jessica was at. I was like, just as a parent, it's like the, the immediate like panic set in. I really hope that he finds that. I'm really glad that you asked about that. Uh, I hope he does too, because I think that letter is like so important. It is. Um, not only is it handwritten, but I think it's, it's got some really good info in it. If it, uh, yeah, definitely. If they can find it and that exists, we can definitely um, do some handwriting analysis on it or someone could yeah. say that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was great to hear Jessica and Cheyenne. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. I am going to cut to a little clip of an interview that I did with Cheyenne when we did the coalition interviews. You'll be able to hear a couple of questions uh, that I asked Cheyenne, and you'll be able to see it on the uh, documentary that we're hopefully putting out here fairly soon. What do you think of Grammy doing this march? I like it. What do you hope to see accomplished with this march? Um, change. What kind of change? They 
people, not killing people. What do you think about the monster? I hate it. What do you have to say to the people out there? I hate you. What do you have to say to the people that are helping out with the merch? I love you. <laughs> Can you say your name again for me? Cheyenne. What else do you want to say? Um, I hope we can make a change. Are you going to keep on leading the way if we're not able to get changed this week? Yep. Are you going to keep it up? Mm-hmm. So this isn't the last time we're going to hear from you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had not heard their, their um, recording uh, until today. I was so proud of Jessica. She did so well. Oh, she she did. spoke so well and she was so nervous about it. She did not want to do it. You know, I said, you know, it's important. I think you should. I think for your own well-being to boost your confidence a little because she just had no confidence in herself whatsoever about, you know, actually speaking with Jen. And I thought she did so well. So good. Yeah, I was really super proud of her. She was articulate. She shared some really some really dark stuff, you know, about how she grew up and and how she was treated in school and stuff. And if you want to hear more in depth with the real sit down with Jessica, dude, uh, check out our season one, episode six. Um, that is Jessica's story and get to hear her tell yeah. it in full. Yeah. 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 And Cheyenne, she was a little cutie. She sounded so cute on there. <laughs> she was so excited. She was, but you know, what's funny too, Jane, is that especially from, you know, being around her now and hearing her and you know, watching her grow and everything. So, I mean, that was just a year ago, basically that yeah. that was recorded. The first thing that I thought of was the change in her voice, man, they grow yeah. up so quick. Like her voice has already changed and you guys will actually be able to hear that based off of the clip that Drew's going to throw in. Yeah. She's so much more mature now. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. And I mean, back then, I think she'd only done maybe 10 YouTubes. Now she's, she's, got, she's got like a thousand followers. She's done over, I think it's over 200 videos now, YouTube videos. Wow. <laughs> that was, that's, she's still, she's still YouTubing. She loves mm-hmm. it. That's she awesome. absolutely loves it. So um, let me see. She talked a little bit about the hypnosis. Uh, brought that up again. I still think about the hypnosis tapes all the time. I think about things that I didn't think about and didn't remember for so many years, 20 plus years. And, and now it's just all those memories and recollect, but how do I want to say it? Recollection? Recollection. 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 All those recollections, just all those memories <laughs> coming back and I just remember them more you know clearer today than I did then uh, or the past over the past you know 20 years but I you know like I said on there I just wish I was more attentive to more detail yeah the the one consistent thing that (sighs) because obviously this was the first time that either you know either one of us had actually heard about your reaction because it was so soon after it was literally the next morning after you had actually watched them. You were so hard on yourself, Jane. Yeah. 
you are so hard on yourself. And I understand you're like, why didn't I remember details about his clothes? Why couldn't I actually, you know, get that full license plate? Why couldn't I this? Why couldn't I that? Because you were surviving and fighting. I know. I, I know. And and people tell me that all the time. But still, it's like, you know, I can't help but think if I had remembered this stuff, maybe he would have been caught by now. Maybe they would have arrested and charged him by now. And we would know who it was. You know, I just, I, I can't get past that, you know, and I probably never will. I probably never will. But it's still hard. I know because I would, it, I would be the same way and I would be frustrated with myself and all those scenarios would play in my mind too. Yeah. But along the lines of the, everything happens for a reason. If he was caught, would you be doing the advocacy work that you're doing right now? You know, this is true. I don't know. I don't know. You're right. You know, everything happens for a reason and some things are meant to be and th some things are just not meant to be. Yeah, you're right. I I have to remember the situation I was in at the moment. I have to remember that, you know, even if I did remember this stuff, who's to say, you know, they could have identified him or he could have, um, we would know who it was today. And I also have to remember and I have to keep reminding myself of this. It's not my job to solve my case. It's their job to do that. And um, I have to trust that they are doing their jobs. That definitely helped today with the interview. I do have more trust that they are doing their jobs and that it is not my job to solve these. And so I have to remember that. I have to keep reminding myself of that. But Jen, what a what a great episode though. Uh, the ending was awesome. Uh, I I can't wait to hear the next season. I I kind of know where she's going with it. <laughs> I know I we got. I want to remind people that I don't. I do not know where Jen is is going with each episode until I listen to the episode. I don't know where I know. I have an idea where she's going with the next season only because I know I have bits and pieces and parts of I'm going to be in it you know in in pieces and parts of it but I'm just as excited and and curious as everybody else where she's going with this next season and how she's gonna uh, tell the story because she's done such a fabulous job so far uh April said it perfectly um because I felt the same way when Crawl Space Media contacted me about doing the Dark Valley project. I was hesitant and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. I wanted, I wasn't sure if they wanted to do this project for the right reasons. And, and April had said the same thing. She had felt the same exact way. She, she didn't want somebody else to make money off of her sister's murder. So I, I felt the same way too at first with Crawl Space Media when they when they contacted me and Jen definitely um, she had to earn my trust <laughs> and and you know she did she 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 uh, proved to me that she wanted to do this project for all the right reasons 
and and I, I she's just done a fabulous job with it. And, and I'm glad I'm not the only one that felt that way. I, I'm glad April brought all that up too. Yeah. Um, because I, I felt the same exact way as April did. Um, I, I did meet April. April is an amazing woman. Uh, she's an amazing advocate for her sister. I wish I, when I first met her, I was like, oh my God, I, I am not advocating for myself enough because she just, she, the, the amount of time and energy and love she has put into advocating for her sister. I, I was like, wow, I, I need to step it up. I need to start advocating for myself way more. Right after that is when we really started saying, you know what, I'm going to start advocating for myself with, of course, Drew and Amanda's help. It was right after that, I believe, that we really stepped it up with advocating for myself. And it's because of April. <laughs> it's because of April. It's funny how you meet people and and um, the, the little things they do or the, the little things that they say can a- actually uh, change the projection of, of your life. And uh, she definitely uh, changed the projection of how I very much needed to step it up and, and start advocating for myself. And uh, hey, I did that. And what did I get? Today, I got a meeting with the state police mm-hmm. <laughs> that wanted to talk about my case. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that was because of April. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Drew to jump in. <laughs> I am too. To be honest, I don't really have anything really much to add because everything talked about in the season finale, we did kind of already cover in and of itself. You know, we we have an interview with Jessica um, talking about her upbringing and what she's had to go through. Um, Heidi Martin's case, you know, we've covered that. That was our season two, episode 15. Delbert Tommen, we did dig into him pretty deeply during our suspect episode. So, yeah, as far as the new information that was heard on today's episode, it was, yeah, the bus stop and then... Andrew's Pizzeria, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And with that last line that she actually left off on, on this episode, talking about exploring the cases in Maine, we had already gotten the heads up actually from Philpin about that in our initial interview with him. We knew that um, he definitely wanted to explore that point too, so. Yeah. And when, uh, when we heard that too, David Gale brought that up to us years ago um because he also he had some ties to some um local policemen as well and he said like authorities especially in the kellyville area did believe there was an east to west uh component as well yeah not just a north south yeah Yeah. but that'd be interesting if she could actually get info from maine right because like getting her she had a very difficult time uh, getting information from the authorities. I mean, the information she dug up, she had to dig deep and she got that information on her own with no help from the state police mm-hmm. or the cold case unit or the AG office um, because they just did not want to share anything. They didn't even really want to talk to her. I, you know, and, and I believe Vermont had been kind of the same way. I hear Maine is worse. Like Maine did not want to work with New Hampshire at all. And so it'd be interesting to see if she was able to um, really get any information from the authorities up in Maine about uh, 
the cases up there that may be connected to down here. And what did she say? 18? Yeah. 18, 18 unsolved that might be connected. Holy crap. And the timing she actually said was after, was after you. So mm -hmm. just given that she said the timing was after, we know that this is sort of coming from a combination of Philpin and an attorney that he was working with. Now that we know that it's after, I'm actually going to start spending some time and actually looking at the cold cases in Maine on the cold case yeah. website and see when and where those, um, like what cases could possibly, unfortunately on that cold case website, you can't get a ton, a ton of, you know, detailed information, but. Does Maine have a cold case website? They sure do. Unsolved homicides. Do yep. Yep. Just like New Hampshire and Vermont. I wonder how those families feel up there about the way their cases are being investigated. <laughs> we'll find out. Yep. Well, I think we'll end with that. We can't wait to hear Jen's next season. Uh, we'll be still doing um, reaction uh, episodes to Jen's uh, Dark Valley episodes, um, even into next season. And um, thank you for listening. Uh, so don't forget Invisible Tears, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, please subscribe. Please, please subscribe. And uh, I think that's about it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15 minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.